On this episode, Quest, Balls of Twine, and Windowless Chinese Restaurants in Phoenix. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. Your hosts, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. Uh, welcome to the Almost There Adventure podcast. Tonight we have our Scott Jones, who is somebody that I knew um, through Twitter, of all places. Uh, many, many years ago, we were trying to figure out, we were scratching our heads trying to figure out when that was. It, I think it might have been like seven years ago or something like that through a hiker chat, you know, weekly Twitter chat when that was a thing. I guess it's still a thing. I, I know you still participate in them. I, I'm not so much, but um, so, so Scott, uh, Scott is a, the thing that really stands out about Scott to me is his epic quests that he takes on. And, and one in particular, he had a quest to visit all of the national park, not only just the national parks, but all of the national park units, which includes all the national monuments and many other variations, which I'm sure he can tell us a little more about. Um, but he's, he's just a really interesting guy. He's done a lot of really interesting things and fun things. And I thought it would be really great to get him on the show and talk a little bit about that and like how we can all maybe benefit from injecting some of that into our, uh, into our outdoor lives. So welcome, Scott. Why don't you tell us a little bit, you know, introduce yourself a little bit better than I did, because uh, uh, <laughs> well, tell us who I, uh, you are and what makes you tick. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it's good to be here. Um, yeah, I think I'm probably best known for all of my travel quests, and I'm sure we'll talk quite a bit about those. Um, I live in Phoenix with my wife. Uh, I've worked in public lands conservation for most of my life. Um, a few years ago, I started to kind of semi-retire from that uh, in favor of uh, kind of focusing more time on, on larger family goals, which is kind of a, an odd thing to say, but we have kind of our own uh, life goals that we wanted to pursue, and uh, staying in a full-time career just wasn't going to allow for those things to happen. So I kind of took a step back there and have worked on a variety of uh, different projects. Some of them are conservation related. I've been running an organization called the Arizona Conservation Partners since then. Um, and uh, also working a lot on these travel quests and trying to get other people to uh, adopt their own and have their own adventures, whether those are, are big, you know, goals like going to all the national park units or something much smaller, like what my mom is doing, which is going to every little coffee shop in our neighborhood. So uh, there's lots of different ways to do it, but it's uh, a way to be able to you know, kind of add more adventure in your life. Um, so I guess that's a quick rundown for of, of who I am. Uh, you'll find me at R. Scott Jones, lots of places. But you can just call me Scott if you ever meet me. It's totally fine. Yeah. I have like, for me, if I had to do the coffee shop, and they'd be like, I have like 20 Starbucks alone within like a two mile radius of me here in, here in LA. So that, that man, I can't even imagine, you know. So there, there is a guy who is trying to go to every single Starbucks, like wow. everywhere. <laughs> Why? Uh, Why? I think, he, I think you can find, I think okay, the, movie, so, the, the documentary made about him was named Starbucking, and I'm pretty sure you can find that uh, somewhere. Wow. Like standalone well, Starbucks or like in grocery yeah. store Starbucks? Yeah. Like, I mean, this is like, have to go this to is a whole rabbit hole. <laughs> and uh, does he have to have a coffee at each one? He does have to have a coffee at every one, and after his like ninth or tenth in a row, uh, he seems... He's quite interesting to watch in a documentary. We'll just, uh, I'll let you watch it yourself if you're so inclined. <laughs> I, so I have not done the, Star, the Starbucks one. I haven't done the coffee shop one. Uh, I, one of my first quests, though, which was, uh, I don't know if this is jumping ahead, but um, I, I was driving through Kansas. Uh, I was going to live in Phoenix. I was going to a family reunion outside of Rocky Mountain National Park in Essence Park in Colorado, but I decided I should just fly to Kansas City and run a car and drive across Kansas because why the hell not? So I did that and I ran across the world's largest ball of twine in Cocker City. And I thought it, it was amazing. I enjoyed so much about that tiny town that is incredibly dead. There's zero things happening there, but they have like a twine walk on the, you know, the sidewalk going downtown. And so I was like, well, crap, I didn't bring any twine. This wasn't on the agenda. 
so I actually started going door to door and uh, found a house that would give me some twine. This is probably not too uncommon of a thing in tiny Cocker City. Uh, and so I got twine. Um, it was a little weird because a boy in like tidy whitey uh, underwear opened the door, which I was not expecting. And I uh, kind of stood there dumbfounded for a second, then asked for the, asked, do you have any twine? I'd like to go out to the twine ball. And uh, he, with, without a glance, was like, perfect. Yes, I got some for you. I'll be right back. Got me the twine, uh, said, hold one end, walk out to the other side of the street, walked out. He's like, I'll snip it. And it was just this perfect photo of the twine, you know, like gently arcing across the street in the wind with this kind of ramshambled like house, two-story house behind it. And I was like, this is an amazing photo. I have to take this photo. The problem is there's uh, like a 10 year old in his tidy whities on the other side of the door there. And so it was like, do I take the photo? I, I don't know if I take, I, I, so I took the photo and I just made sure my thumb was in the way in the, in the shot uh, and then went at it to the twine ball. And as soon as I did that, I was like, there's gotta be another twine ball. So I found two others, uh, three others technically. There's one at the Ripley's believe it or not, museum in uh, Branson, Missouri, that I finally went to this last year, uh, just so just so I could say I had done it. But I really don't consider that a real twine ball. And so I went to the other ones and had a great time at those two. And there's there's kind of interesting stories with those as well. But um, that's one thing I really like about Quest is like you have this, uh, you can kind of pick this, whatever this goal is, sometimes it's kind of asinine. Another early Quest I did was to go to all the windowless Chinese restaurants in downtown Phoenix. Uh, and the weird thing was that, uh, wait a minute, wait a yes. minute, time out. Yeah, yeah, sure. The windowless Chinese restaurants in downtown Phoenix. That sounds really specific. Well, it is, but you know, if you're thinking quality Chinese food in a major metropolitan city, then you think downtown Phoenix. No, you don't at all. Uh, but we decided <laughs> what the hell let's do this, uh, my buddy and I. And so we, decided to go do that. And then we uh, kind of famously, the first one that we found that we wanted to do was only a window. Like you can't go, there's just, just a window on the side of a building. In fact, they call it the window. I don't even know its real name. And so we go there and uh, we're standing in line and we realize the person ordering in front of us, we think ordering is from the office of the medical examiner, uh, which is usually not what you want to find at your first sketchy Chinese restaurant. Um, and we figured out later she was she was ordering. She walked away with the, the little number, which was literally a piece of cardboard that they tore off a box and wrote a number with a ballpoint pen on. So that's kind of the quality that we're looking at here. Uh, so we did that and we did, I don't know, eight or 10 others. Uh, we came up with our own little rating system. It was a lot of fun. It took quite a while to do because if you're going to sketchy Chinese restaurants, you kind of have to like make sure that you schedule a day after kind of open, you know, just just in case. So, you know, if my buddy and I might have a date coming up, it was like, you know, we're not doing that this week. We're going to have to wait until a new one. Uh, so some of them, some of these quests can be kind of fun like that. Um, others, you know, can be really solemn and meaningful. Uh, my, uh, my wife and I uh, decided to go to, oh, we happen to be driving through the desert here in Arizona, uh, about 50 miles south of our house and realized, oh my, there's actually a old Japanese internment camp here from World War II which I had never heard of. I grew up here. I'm surprised I had never knew about this one. Um, and so we decided, wow, how many are there? You know, we've been to Manzanar, been to Minidoka, uh, two national park sites that, that preserve um, internment camps. But it was like, how many are there? So there's 10. So we, we then spent a few years doing that. Um, we're kind of about to finish another quest uh, to go to all the major sites of the Manhattan Project, uh, which is one of these really kind of interesting moments in American history or episodes in American history where, you know, it's this like such a, uh, like a, a, a convoluted process where it's the, it, it's this weird combination of like incredible science coming to bear on a, like a real life application so quickly that has such huge ramifications for the world and has such, you know, dire, like moral and ethical, you know, issues as part of it. And so, uh, so we've gone to most of the sites there. Uh, we have a few left. We haven't been to Japan yet, but that's that's on our list. Uh, and some of other quests can be pretty mundane, uh, or you know maybe not mundane, but a little bit more generic. Uh, going to all fifty states, we've decided. Uh, Jeff, I, I think you would join me in this. At some states, going to a craft brewery in all fifty states. Um, we actually went to a craft brewery, every craft brewery in all the U.S. territories, 
which was kind of fun. Um, so, you know, there's lots of these quests you can pull together. Um, it's one of the ways that I structure my travel. Um, and there, I think, are like a lot of benefits for, there's been a lot of benefits for us uh, in getting us to go to places we otherwise wouldn't go to, um, to uh, kind of reduce uh, that sense of there's too many possibilities, like the, the paradox of choice. You know, when you have too many options, it's really hard to pick one thing. Well, if you have a quest, here's the list. You got the list. Just run down the list, figure out what's going to work. Um, and uh, and it's, it's created new experiences for me that there's no way I would have ever before. I never would have gone to Kansas if I didn't have to mark off some national park units there. I wouldn't have gone to, you know, done the twine ball thing, which, you know, I loved it enough for a while. I owned ballsoftwine.com. Um, and... And I wouldn't have gone to one of my favorite national park units, which is in Topeka, Kansas, which, you know, again, I never would have like intentionally gone to had I not had this travel goal. So, so you know, to tease every episode of this, I usually do like a little make up like three things to like kind of yeah. tease it. And, and I don't know if you've listened before, you know, yes. usually some of these, even some of the better episodes, it's sometimes hard. And I really have to think to come up with clever things to say. I think you've just listed off about 30 things within like the first five minutes of the show. So it's like tidy white. Giant balls of twine. Giant balls yes. of twine. Driving through Kansas. I mean, the list, you know, Starbucking. I mean, so, yeah, I, I mean, uh, that's, so this, that's great. But uh, sorry, it's kind of funny. Like, because usually I try winner, to take winner, chicken dinner. Yeah, I try to take mental note as I listen. And, and like, this is the first time that I'm like, wow, within like a minute, I already got like three. So how many more are going to get? I'm going to have to maybe do four instead of three or whatever this time but uh yeah let's see what we can add to the list yeah that sounds amazing now now i mean especially this obviously this is an outdoor theme podcast sure yes we'll probably focus i mean the national park thing sounds like a a great sort of kickoff to kind of steer it in that direction a bit um sure what are your because obviously some of these are very very remote i mean i've been to gates of the arctic and you know that's a fly-in park and what's is it caught my what's the other flying one up there there's a couple flying ones up there like like that's a pretty serious investment yeah. time money and all of that kind of thing like what are what are the most remote ones and maybe tick off a couple of your favorite ones that are unexpected well the ones that are unexpectedly good that's actually a pretty long list because um you know when i started out doing this it was not um like a very obvious goal for me you know i was in college um i liked the outdoors i was just kind of getting into the outdoors and um the only trip we could afford was to like go camp in a national park unit and eat, you know, pork and beans and mac and cheese and, um, and camp for a week, you know, and hike around. So, uh, that's how I kind of fell in love with these places where on summer trips doing that, or maybe spring break or winter break or whatever. And, you know, you go to a few of them and at some point you're like, man, these, you know, every single one has been, you know, dropped at Gordon, like just love, you just love the experience, you know, going to Yosemite, Sequoia, Mount Rainier, you know, all these different places that are uh, so renowned. Um, and after a while, we decided, well, of course, you know, we, we should just see them all. Um, and then through that, we decided, well, you know, there's a bunch of cool national monuments, too. I'd been to some of the national monuments in Arizona um, when I was a kid and really enjoyed those. And frankly, if you're driving a glacier from Phoenix, you got like, you need some place to camp. Well, there's national monuments along the way. So we'll do that. We have the parks pass. It's a cheap way of doing it. So then we decided, well, we'll just do all the national monuments and all the national park units. And that's quite a bit. That's like a lifelong goal. But we ended up realizing that there were all these other units that were part of this that maybe weren't always outdoor focused. You know, a bunch of them are as well, but not all of them. And but they all told this like interlacing story um, about the history of America and history of protecting places. Uh, and we found that kind of a compelling thing to theme to kind of work through. So eventually decided basically that we were going to do them all. We figured this was a, maybe something we'd hit mostly in retirement because a lot of them are far away. It's hard to road trip from Phoenix or kind of in the corner of the country. So, uh, so we figured that we would, we would do that. Um, but, you know, when you have a quest, you, in, in my experience, when you have a quest and you're kind of like really enjoying it, you end up finishing a lot earlier than you expect because you enjoy it so much. So I started doing, more, you know, more and more trips and realizing that there were such this breadth of, of like natural resources out there, all these amazing landscapes, things that I didn't really always expect. Um, and uh, that even though some of these were really remote, like you mentioned, you, you could plan to get these done at some point in your life. And so, that, so at some point I decided I'm gonna do them all. 
Well, the most difficult area to get to are these most remote ones, particularly the Alaska ones, uh, and not just a Katmai, which you can take a quick flight over to uh, from a major city, uh, or you know, uh, any any of the kind of named national parks. Even Gates, you know, they they do flight seeing tours, which I think is actually the best way to see some of those units is actually from the air. Uh, but there's also other ones that are like really difficult to get to. There's one called Aniakchak National Monument and National Preserve, uh, which are technically two different units. They're, you know, adjacent and co-managed, but they're out on the kind of Aleutian uh, Island chain, like kind of on the peninsula heading out to those. Pretty difficult to get to. They don't track visits because they're it's under 100. Um, when we were there, the superintendent of the site had not yet visited in person, we were told. Uh, it's not uncommon to wait, uh, you know, many days to be able to go. The people who had just tried to go there before us had waited uh, 12 days, I think they said, and had not gotten a single um, clear day to be able to fly. And you're not flying in a commercial jet, you're flying in a, you're renting a bush plane to do this. You're renting a pilot in a bush plane for however many, you know, however long it takes to get there. And if you get up in the air and there's weather, you just got to turn around like you, you don't fly through weather in a, in a, in a bush plane. So it was uh, pretty difficult to actually get there. We scheduled, you know, we're on like a normal vacation schedule. This isn't like we're taking all summer to do this. We're not like living in Alaska while we make this happen in a van or anything where we have like a set vacation, like work starts again on this Monday. So we scheduled uh, six and a half days in King Salmon, uh, which is primarily a big fishing, fishing town, like a, a you know, you go there and pay big money to, to catch fish. And we stayed in a small place with our buddy who was trying to get to all the parks too, because uh, you want to split a bush plane. If, if you go and you can find somebody else that wants to do the same thing as you, that's great, because you get to split the cost. We flew in in a suitcase uh, a bunch of food from Anchorage because uh, food there is very expensive. Um, I remember we walked around the little supermarket they have. They have like six buildings in the main town. It's like the airport, the gift shop, a bank. Uh, a run a car place, uh, two bars, so maybe there's an extra one, and a, a, a liquor store slash uh, market. And, you know, like one of those do crappy dollar pizzas you might eat in high school or college that are, I hope nobody eats those right now, but uh, those ones are, they're like five or six bucks, and you're like, my good lord, we're not going to be spending a whole lot of time here. Unfortunately, we spent about six days there uh, waiting every single day, waiting for this plane for a, basically a text from our pilot to say that we could fly there because the weather was so bad. We're looking at the web, the webcam, uh, you know, that's like 15, 20 miles away every 10 minutes because it updates every 10 minutes. And, you know, so some of these are a pretty big investment to get in. We had actually decided to abandon that part of the trip and just continue to move on um, the last day right before we got the text. In fact, uh, my wife who had planned a surprise for me later in that trip, because I was about to finish all the national parks, um, she had already kind of resigned that she was going to have to give up the surprise, which is like some of my friends had flown in for the final park, which was a couple parks after this. If we got this done, we'd definitely finish the quest. And uh, so we kind of walking back in through the threshold of the door to uh, to tell our buddy that, hey, we're going to move on. We're going to have to leave. And, um, and she got the, she got the, I got the text actually saying, Hey, be here in 30 minutes if you want a chance to Antioch check. So, uh, we were able to fly in. Um, I think we were the first people of the season to go, I think because there was just enough of a window. There were two other people that flew in after us, but you know, in most years it's, you're counting on hands, how many people actually get there. That being said, that is my favorite place in the national park system because of the story leading up to it. And I think that that's, you know, a lot of people ask me um, what my favorite units overall are. And of course, the big wilderness parks are always at the top of the list. But there are lots of other places that are not as well known that are really important to me because of the situation around it or the surprise I had from it uh, when I visited or uh, what, you know, what it ended up meaning for my life, like opening up a new thought process that I hadn't had before or uh, you know, allowing me to reflect on a part of my life that um, sometimes only the outdoors allows you to do. So there, there are lots of places like this that are that are just really grand. Um, you know, there's lots of other remote parks. There's one in Guam. There's one in American Samoa, Virgin Islands, U.S. Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico. 
Um, but the Alaska parks will always be really special, in particular in Antioch Jack uh, National Monument for me. National Preserve was less interesting, although we did fly over two grizzlies. Here's another thing for the intro. Two grizzlies that were, um, <laughs> they were making new grizzlies at the time. And uh, our pilot noticed them and he was uh, kind of fun. And so he starts giggling and we kind of look at him and then he dips the plane pretty far to one side and says, look over there. And then we notice and the, the male grizzly kind of like stops for a moment and kind of watches us go by and <laughs> then uh, gets back on and continues. And uh, so we, we giggled and we, we landed in the preserve and then uh, continued on to land through uh, the gates at Antioch Check. Cool. <laughs> That's a volcano, right? That's like a giant. It's a, it's a collapsed caldera. Okay, yeah. yeah. So And yeah. then it filled with water like a crater lake. And then at one point in time, I forget how long ago, uh, it burst through the rim. And basically the volume of the Mississippi flowed out of this this caldera within like a six hour period or something out to the ocean. And it created this this big V cut in the in the rim. And that's what you usually fly through. So it's pretty dramatic when you fly through because you're, you know, you're in a bush plane, the wings are pretty close to the edges. Um, it's pretty spectacular when you come in because it's very volcanic, but then there's this uh, really um, blue lake in there they call Surprise Lake, probably because it's kind of a surprise whether or not you're actually going to be able to get in. And so we get in, land, had, had a great time there. Um, because you're paying by the minute with the bush plane, though, it's, you know, it's not like we, we spent the whole day there. So, you know, I think we spent about two hours. The pilot was so happy that he could get there that he kind of fudged the numbers and we stayed an extra hour than what we had been billed, nice. uh, which was, which was awesome. So uh, what about something, one of the units that was maybe um, not really on your radar, so to speak, it wasn't like a place that you were really looking forward to, but it surprised you. And, uh, you know, what, what, give us maybe one or two examples of those. Well, the first two that come to mind are, are less uh, adventure oriented, uh, but one is the Brown versus Board of Education National Historic Site in Topeka, Kansas, uh, which, um, you know, was uh, one of the schools involved in the civil rights decision, uh, Supreme Court decision. And uh, that was not really a topic I had ever paid a whole lot of attention to um, in my life. You know, I, I academically knew what it meant and, and, and such, but I'd never had it kind of brought home to me in any real way. Uh, at that point in my life and uh, but it was national park service unit so we had to, we had to go there and this is for me is like the the prime example for of why i really love this quest was it forced me to go to a place i otherwise would never go to and uh, that visitor center is just really powerful to me personally i've had other friends go there and they're like yeah it was good but you know uh i went back this last summer uh maybe in july and uh, it was just as good for me. Uh, there's there's one spot where you kind of walk through this like hallway of, of floor to ceiling um, uh, uh, video screens, and they're kind of playing the kind of like the uh, the the newsreel hate that were that the the uh, Central Rock um, Low Rock Nine were facing. You know, it, at a different park unit now, but um, at it was interesting walking through this narrow hallway, having this stuff kind of like just yelled at you. And I had a different experience of, of what it might be to be non-white, you know, cause I'm, I'm a white boy from Phoenix. So this was a pretty important moment in my life and kind of taking a broader view of, of humanity um, that maybe I had only done intellectually and not kind of emotionally before that. Uh, the, uh, the national or the Manhattan project site in Oak Ridge, Tennessee was really spectacular to me because you actually walk through the first nuclear reactor and you can see how they put it together. And it's, uh, it's crazy. They pulled that off because, you know, it's, um, it's an incredible scene if you get a chance to, um, to go there. And that really inspired this entire other quest. Um, as far as, uh, more sort of outdoorsy things that, that really spoke to me, um, we haven't talked about this yet, but I also had a quest to go to all the national monuments and national conservation areas, no matter who managed them. 
Um, so BLM or a Bureau of Land Management or U.S. Forest Service, or there's a bunch of other smaller sort of interesting ones. And the the BLM national monuments are uh, national conservation areas are many of them are really stellar, and they would absolutely be you know famed national parks if weren't if not for the politics or the history of that particular piece of land. So you know Bears Ears or Grand Staircase Escalante, Vermilion Cliffs. Um, you know, a place close to my heart is Ironwood Forest, just south of, of uh, Phoenix here, where actually my, my wife and I had kind of our first, our first outdoor hike, you know, a couple of days after we met. Um, and so these places, you know, I don't think get as celebrated um, as the national parks, but are so worth visiting. Uh, and the way that you can visit, visit them is quite a bit different. The experience is a much more self-directed one. Uh, there's usually not a big visitor center that you go to. There's not hourly ranger tours. You have to be prepared. You have to know where what you want to see in the place and how to get there and how to do that responsibly and safely. Uh, but having that um, experience on the land, I think, is is a really interesting one that that I, I hope more people do. How many of these uh, national park units are there? Right now, there's 423. When I started, there was probably 370-ish. I didn't really keep track because it was such a far-off goal. It didn't really matter. Uh, and then slowly but surely, we've been adding more and more uh, sites, uh, units since then. Um, and and then, you know, the BLM has been adding and the Forest Service have been adding some national monuments um, to, their, to their conservation systems as well. So... Uh, 423 uh, official units of the national park system. There's also affiliated units. Uh, there's also um, national historic trails, national scenic trails, uh, some of which are official units, some of which aren't. Um, and there, uh, another quest I've been doing recently is um, going to every former national park unit. So there are places that used to be parks that are no longer parks, um, which has been pretty interesting as well. Uh, so 423 of those. And I think if 481 total of all national park units, national monuments, and national conservation areas. So Scott, what is the best resource to tra- like to find all these, right, and track them? I mean, I know there's like the national park website, but I, yeah, I mean, like, how do you even keep track of these? And what's how would you advise somebody who is trying to make this list as well to to do that? That's a great question. It, it does depend on your on your quest. If you're uh, looking for the national parks, uh, the national park um, website is is a good place to start. There's also a club called the National Park Travelers Club, uh, which is kind of the the national park questing group, uh, if if there is such a thing. And they kind of keep track of um, of lots of the details of parks. You can you often. Uh, if you're involved in that group, you kind of know about a park before it happens. Um, you can kind of plan ahead. Um, you know, the, they're very, very into it. I, I've been a member for uh, countless years. Um, and uh, they also award you, give you awards, you know, when you've reached certain milestones. Or if you finish all of them, you get a nice little plaque, which, um, you know, is in the other room. So uh, so that's, that's a great resource. Uh, there are lots of other, you know, groups on social media that can help out with that. Um, one thing that, uh, because Quest have played such an important role in my life, you know, I've been trying to promote the idea of, of Quest for quite a while and have been working on a site and an app and even an online community for people with Quest. Uh, if you go to goquesting.com, you can you can see more there. But it's some of these quests are really hard to keep track of. Um, some of them are particularly easy. If you have a quest to go to every craft brewery, that that gets really, or every Starbucks or whatever, that gets hard to manage, right? That's hard to keep track of that data. National park units come, you know, every every so often, but there's not too many. If you're trying to go to the high point of every state, those don't change very often, right? So, um, you know, that's an easy easy one or the county high points of a particular state. So, uh, there are there's usually a group of people trying to qu- trying to do a quest around most of those things. Not many around the Balls of Twine, not many around the uh, windowless Chinese restaurants um, in Phoenix, downtown Phoenix. Uh, but there's definitely others that are doing this that you can, you can kind of connect with. Um, uh, so there's, and if you head to our site, hopefully we'll have it. And if, if we don't, uh, we'll hope, hope to get you in contact with who does. Uh, there's also Wikipedia, which is actually how probably a lot of people start. How long did it take you for the national park units? How long did, when did you start? 
and how many years until you you finished? Yeah, so that's. Are you uh, finished? I mean, you're kind I am, of yeah. finished, right? No, I, well, yes. <laughs> I finished the quest uh, in June of 2019 in Glacier Bay National Park in uh, Alaska, but um, they've added several since then. And I've had to go back to other go back to other parts of the country to uh, to do it. I feel like I've made uh, like four or five trips to the deep south to go to like a new unit that was designated six months after I was there last. Um, so that's uh, I guess a hazard of the goal here. But um, I I'm not sure exactly when I started the quest because it wasn't like a real goal for a long time. Um, it was just a you know it's like your bucket list goal. You don't know when you're gonna you're going to finish, uh, the list. So I definitely started with a goal to visit national parks sometime in the early two thousands. And I finished in 2019, but I believe that I visited, I went back to a lot of places multiple times. And I think if you count from the late, latest time I had visited, the most recent time I had visited a place to when I finished, it was about a decade. So what's the most time you spend in a park and or a unit and what's the least amount of time you spent in a unit? Hmm. That's a good question. That's a good question. Um, yeah, well, I, I, some people might say, well, if you're just like, you know, stamping a passport and, and then sure. you're moving on, yeah, yeah. You're, you're missing the, the real beauty Absolutely. and the joy of experiencing that park. So sure. it, it kind of yeah. speaks to that, right? It does. Yeah. And, and my philosophy is whatever is a meaningful experience to you, you should count. And if you don't feel like it's a meaningful experience to you, you shouldn't count. So, you know, if uh, so, th that's kind of how, how I do it in terms of the longest time continuously in a park, um, you know, probably 10 to 14 days in, I guess, Sequoia, Kings Canyon, they're technically two parks, but, you know, a two week trip there or a 10 day trip to Yosemite or, uh, you know, seven or eight days in Yellowstone at a time or, you know, uh, I've done, you know, the rim to rim hike in the Grand Canyon, but I've done it the opposite of everybody else I know, which is I took as long as possible because I wanted to spend as much time in the wilderness as I could. I didn't want to look at my watch. I wanted to have a siesta every day and I wanted to just, you know, gaze, gaze upon the, the brilliance that is the canyon. And, you know, so I think that we probably did, I'm not sure what the legal limit is, was five or six, whatever our permit allowed. So, um, you know, we spent just as much time as we could on the corridor trails even. That's uh, my goal is to my, my, my personal goal is to get the slowest known time on any given trail. So. <laughs> yeah, I think that's great. I mean, that, that's just I mean, some people, you know, they spend a lot of time um, doing stuff in the outdoors as kind of like a personal challenge and to like, you know, feel like they've achieved something. And, uh, you know, like that's like what peak bagging mostly is. Right. And, you know, I, I love that some of the time, but a lot of the time you know, for me, it's more of a immersive experience in a place. And so for me, it's less about the distance covered and more about like the soul regenerated, <laughs> the, you know, uh, that's more of how I, I measure that stuff. In terms of the shortest one, there's there's a bunch I've only been in probably for an hour or two. Um, many of those are like small historical sites. There's only so many old dead white guys houses that you can see without getting pretty bored because Every display is basically the same with different names and maybe different years. Um, there is a, there was a really odd one that uh, was in Texas on an Air Force base, which was the military. Oh, geez, I'm going to get the name wrong. Uh, the uh, Military Working Dogs Team National Monument, which is literally, you know, a statue, um, which is interesting. It's, a, you know, it's cool. I had never I didn't even know that was a thing. Never considered that they had dog teams that were working in the military. Uh, but, um, but I did not spend a whole lot of time there, uh, to be honest, I did take a video, um, and reflect and, you know, but that was probably half an hour after the hour and a half check-in period to be able to get on base, you know, and do the background check and all that. Do the people at the gate even know what you're talking about? They're like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> so funny thing, that is the problem. Cause not a whole lot of people are trying to go to all these places. And so I literally printed off the enabling legislation the uh you know which if i recall is a presidential proclamation although i'm not entirely sure on that photos of the place uh a shot from google like satellite view on google earth of like you know here's where it is this is where i'm going this is where i'm gonna park i had that already um and i was a little intimidated sitting in there to be honest but uh but it was totally fine so 
I'm sure they searched your car after you you showed them all of that the, the Google Earth shots. Or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that was that was one of the few trips where I didn't like hit a bunch of national parks at once, um, you know, in like one trip. So uh, that one, I literally for the first time in my life, I got in an airplane in the morning, flew there, went to that, uh, went to a brewery or two, and then flew home in the same day. So I, I had a rental car that was way more spotless than any other rental car I've ever done a national park road trip in. <laughs> Hey, so Scott, it, it, I love that you have all of these quests that you're kind of, you know, doing, and um, it sounds like you have you're you're juggling multiple quests at any given time. I, I, like, how many are we talking about? Are we talking about you know oh, four, geez. five, or more? I mean, <laughs> yeah, Jeff, that was I'd literally have to... my next question. I love it. <laughs> I I probably actually have to like count on my website how many there are. So there's. Uh, there's many there's probably about 20 that i'm doing uh right now and but not all of them are like you know ones i'm spending every waking moment thinking about some of them are kind of low level ones some of them are really local uh you know they have this thing called the points of pride in phoenix which are like uh places that the city is a proud of and so i i want to do all those there's a few i haven't done i haven't kayaked all the local lakes around phoenix um you know, I try to kayak pretty frequently in the summer when it's hot and we're in town and I uh, hadn't done that. So it's like, oh, I need to make that happen this year. Uh, so there, there's a bunch and there's a bunch that I've kind of added on later again and, and kind of, you know, my my wife is into Quest too. We were actually both into Quest before we met and that's kind of one of the things that connected us. And uh, so she has one to do 100 countries um, before she's 50. So now that we finished the national parks, uh, it's kind of onto her quest. We're definitely going to be focusing more on, on international um, things. And she's done all seven continents and has like a bunch of other stuff that she's, she's completed. Uh, but we'll definitely be doing more international travel once COVID is, um, you know, allows for it. How many countries has she done, uh, you know, so far? Oh, it's hard for me to keep track of that yeah. too. I think we're up to, I think she's up to 70, 69, oh, wow. 70. Wow. You need an app or a website for that. I know. Right? It would come in re- really handy if, if we had one of those. Yeah. <laughs> or, or a map. So luckily, we're beta testing one, yeah. you know, right now. So hopefully uh, hopefully it'll be public here in the early early next year. But yeah, no. So uh, it, we have a variety of ways of, you know, keeping track of this uh, beyond that. And, and you know, I'd, I'd love for people to check out the app because I think you'll really enjoy it. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if uh, don't wait for the app to get started, you know, pick a quest now. Um Start, start going to see places. Um, you know, th- one of my big recommendations, I learned a lot of lessons throughout all these quests, one of which was, you know, that I should have maybe been a little bit more intentional at the beginning and really, you know, made it a real goal instead of kind of this fuzzy goal. And I think if I would have made it a real goal, I would have gained actually a lot more value from, from it. Um, when I was going, I was often focusing on like, trying to create a narrative that my friends would enjoy uh, and they might go to this park if I, if I did it this way. It was kind of like you know, doing like a travel blogger sort of focus on it. And I've realized a lot more recently that, man, what a, what a, I wish I would have spent a lot more time just really journaling how I felt in these places. Like what emotions I had when I, you know, crested, you know, that ridge and saw this vista for the first time or, you know, that the, the first time that I had like a really close interaction with a grizzly bear um, and, you know, uh, how long it took to find clean underwear after that. And, you know, th- like the <laughs> things like that, that are that are the, the true memories that, you know, that you um, that that really provide, the, you know, the value to most of these most of these things. My a year, year and a half, almost two years ago now, right at the beginning of COVID, my dad had a, a big health crisis. And, you know, a good chunk of my life in the in the last little while during COVID has been helping him and his aging and uh, his you know, sister living. And we spent a lot of time, uh, you know, uh, interacting with him and, and things like that. And one thing that I, I really learned through this whole process is that you really retire on your memories you don't want to do new stuff at this point in your life. You retire on your memories, the, the great memories that you had of all your adventures over life. And, um, and that's really important to like maximize uh, throughout your life. And it kind of, you know, thinking about that and also the most unforgettable moments that you have in these adventures are absolutely forgettable. Your brain does not keep these things forever. They may not, it may not. So the more, 
intentional you can be with um, getting the value out of these memories, um, the better. And I think the more, you know, the more personally rewarding it is uh, for you. And um, in fact, that's been a big, a big focus of mine um, in this last year or so is really kind of thinking about how to increase the, you know, that, um, well, I have a, ter- I, so I have a term for it. I call it return on adventure. ROA instead of ROI it's like the financial term return on investment ROI I call it return on adventure because it's this um, you know it's this the investments that you make you know in travel and the subsequent like personal enjoyment that you get from those adventures increase over time and your memories have this way of like compounding in value over time and when you really start like just like a, a, a dividend would in an investment. So you want as many of these like memory dividends as possible in your life. Uh, and one thing I really uh, surprised me, but but it's definitely the case, at least in my life. And I think it I think it holds true for others is that you can end up if you, if you kind of really think about this, you end up with more personal value uh, after a trip than what you actually got during the trip because of this concept of, of compounding memory, uh, compounding value of memories over time. So, you know, if you, if you went to a trip, you went and did a trip, you hiked a mountain and it was like five units of enjoyment. But then every back, every time you think back on it and maybe it was type two fun, right? Like maybe it sucked in the moment, but you look back on it and it was like, this was brilliant. I love this. We'll say you had five units of value, but then every time, you think about that and you think about how you felt at the end or you retell the story about what happened, you know, with the, the one boot that fell off the cliff or whatever the thing is, you know, you get another half, half unit of, of happiness, of joy. Well, you know, you look at that 30 times over the rest of your life and the value of thinking back over those experiences is, is far greater than the actual value you have during the experience. So for me, I've been thinking a lot about how can I maximize that in my own life? What systems can we put into place uh, to really uh, benefit ourselves? And how can we focus um, on, on really increasing those, those, uh, that personal value that we get? Because we prioritize travel adventures as much as we can in our lives. Now, now out of curiosity, would you get negative ROA points if you have a bad experience the day after a windowless Chinese restaurant visit? <laughs> um, <laughs> luckily, we didn't find out. There was okay, one day good. it was pretty close, uh, okay. but you know, I don't think it hit midnight uh, by that point. But no, so I, I'm not sure about that. You know, I think for the most part, um, every travel adventure I've had that has, um, even when everything has gone wrong. Virtually, I can't think of one that wasn't type two fun at the end. Like, even if it's a place that I didn't, one thing, another thing I like about Quest is that you go to a bunch of places you might not go to, and some of them might not be your most favorite place. But there's this interesting dynamic in that you got it done. So you took a vacation, you had this, you know, you're, you're trying to section hike a certain trail, you hated the section, it was awful, you'd never want to think about this again. Um, you know, but you got it done. You actually had a productive time. And if you don't have a quest, that just meant you had a sucky vacation. <laughs> and so for me, the places that I haven't enjoyed, they, I still feel like I accomplished something. And so it still ends up being a positive uh, feeling in the end, which is kind of counterintuitive. At the same time, when you have as many, you know, if you try to maximize the number of, of uh, travel experiences you have, then um, when you have a bad one, it just makes you appreciate the other ones that much more when things, everything goes right. Uh, and that's easy to step past when you're in the moment because you expect things to just go right. So have you ever had a quest that you're just like done over it, not completing it? Wasn't what I thought it was going to be like, or, you know, that you just sort of aborted. Yeah, <laughs> just scratch like, this one. Abort, abort. <laughs> yeah. Uh, somewhat. Great theory, bad in actuality. Uh, I expected the Chinese restaurant one to be that. Uh, when we first started off, I was like, we're probably getting through two of these, and then one of us is going to end up in the hospital. Um, there have been ones that I have considered adopting and then not adopted because um, because I didn't enjoy them enough. Um, I didn't enjoy the experience, or the opportunity cost for other things I wanted to do was too too high. So 
one of those was actually trying to get to a bunch of Arizona wilderness areas I had never been to before. Um, but um, I didn't have the right vehicle to ever get there and I couldn't afford to rent one that could really make it. So, um, you know, so I've, I've abandoned, you know, parts of parts of those quests uh, in the past just because it wasn't worth my time. I, I don't see these as goals you have to finish, which is why I don't think there should be a huge friction for people adopting them. Adopt them, try them. If you don't like them, abandon them. It's your life, you know, have fun with it. So. Um, this is supposed to inspire you to more travel, not to make you feel bad about what you're not, not accomplishing. So uh, I think this, this might be something that's like my parents' generation, where you, you worked really hard for your career, and, and you saved all of the travel and the adventure for when you retired. And I yeah. think we're kind of past that a little bit. I mean, I feel like I am. And uh, I think all of us on this, on this podcast feel that way. Uh, but um, it sounds like you would not recommend waiting <laughs> at all uh, and putting those things on hold. You do it now. Yeah, that's that's definitely my philosophy. That's our family philosophy. You know, I left my career in part because we could figure out how to make uh, life work on on one income, and we wanted the time flexibility to be able to travel as much as possible. You know, I my wife gets uh, you know as a works for a federal government. She's a, a federal prosecutor and she you know has a, a great job it's very stable um for good or for bad but it's very stressful and it can be long hours uh and it's an important job she gets value out of it uh you know she gets she feels like she's doing something important uh in life and but at the same time uh it's a difficult job to to uh travel often unless you have somebody else kind of help and make that happen and we wanted to make sure that we could travel as much as possible uh, so we, we made that choice. Uh, we wanted to be able to have free time during the week in a way that uh, we otherwise wouldn't if we were both both uh, working full-time jobs. Uh, we wanted to be a little bit more intentional in life too and actually have somebody thinking about some of the bigger issues in our lives. Um, you know, not just in, during a commute, but think about them a little bit more uh, regularly. Uh, and then we also wanted to give back in a way that got people to prioritize those experiences over possessions. Um, and make sure that that people are are um, are trying to get out. And we just we wanted to inspire other other people to do those things. So uh, so we made a big life decision to do that. I mean, it wasn't exactly easy to walk away from a career. We weren't even married at the time, so there's actually no legal obligation if we split up. If suddenly I'm just kind of out of career, <laughs> um, so you know we've we've certainly really um, you know we believe strongly in that and. You know, if we could take many retirements between now and, and our retirement date, then then we absolutely will and, and try our best to do as much travel as possible, which is which is what we're kind of optimizing our life for. Uh, and if we can help other people do it, that's great, too. You know, we um, we definitely have the like the die was zero sort of, uh, you know, idea here where we want to we want to have as many experiences as possible and we don't want to wait until it's too late to have the experiences we want to have. Can you think just just off the top of your head, what are like the weirdest? I mean, your Chinese restaurant one is up there, but what are some of the weirdest quests you you you've heard of or you, that you know of people that have done? I'm not sure. I don't know what would. Uh, I'm not sure what that would be. Um, there are lots of people who have lots of interesting ones that I haven't really paid a whole lot of attention to, um, but. The interesting thing in America in 2021 and with the internet and social media in particular is no matter what weird thing you're into, you can find other people that are into it too. And um, so I, I don't know if I have a great answer for that. Uh, the windowless Chinese restaurant tour, we really were trying to go for the record, Jason, to be honest, but uh, maybe it's been surpassed at, at this point. Uh, there's lots of people who love roadside attractions. You know, I, I'm one of them. So lots of people are doing those. Um, there are definitely some like obscure statues and such that people want to go see. Um, you know, there's lots of high pointers. In fact, I've, I've been doing what I've been, what I call the lazy high pointers tour of the U S or the high points of otherwise flat States, the ones that you can basically, uh, like push a wheelchair up just cause I, I thought that was funny. And also, I did that on the Kansas trip because I thought Mount Sunflower was an actual mountain before I went. Uh, it's not. It's like <laughs> no. an hill. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. But I hope I, I hope on go questing we find some because I would love to mm -hmm. do some other crazy ones. 
you mentioned Mount Sunflower, and uh, I actually went to Mount Sunflower kind of on a whim uh, on our road trip back from the East Coast earlier this year, back in March. And um, my wife was thought I was a little crazy because, like, we had to go kind of, like, off the beaten track to get there. You know, you go down a dirt <laughs> road for a long ways, and, you know, it was out of our – it was adding another, I don't know – 45 minutes or whatever to our, our drive for the day. And she's like, Oh, this is nuts. What are you doing? And we got there and she's like, Oh, that was my favorite part of the whole trip. It was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) It was a really neat experience. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's part of what you've described is that a lot of the things that you do, you, you go to places that you might not have really, you know, might not have been really high on your list, but when you get there, the experience you have, it, 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 surprises you a lot of these parks are hiking but you mentioned that you kayak i mean what what other like what different forms of sort of outdoor activities have you done in the different parks have you done like canoeing and hiking anything else just kind of crazy you wouldn't think of uh nothing no nothing particularly crazy you know mostly hiking some backpacking uh we try to camp in all the parks that we can um depending on you know the circumstances uh you know rafting kayaking um uh, that's, uh, I guess a little bit of mountain biking, but only in a park or two. Um, but those are kind of my primary outdoor activities. So they're just place, you know, once I've done, um, not, not a rock climber, uh, you know, I've never gone hang gliding in a park, you know, there's some kind of a few more obscure things that, um, not a lot of people have done just because of the situation. But, um, I think for me, just being in, um, such amazing places is, uh, is like fun enough. Uh, and sometimes some of my favorite park experiences, even in, in big parks has, has not been like a real hike or, um, a, uh, you know, a backpacking trip or something I had to do a whole lot of planning for. It was literally like, Hey, I'm driving past this park on my way to some other, other place. And I'm going to go take an hour and just hang out somewhere and just enjoy being out there. Uh, I'm going to read a few things on some of the signs and learn a few things I probably you maybe had learned before, but have forgotten or, or didn't know before. And I just want to enjoy these great places. You know, we, we, ha- we have such we're so blessed to have so many amazing places in America, many of which are protected as national parks, um, many that aren't protected as national parks, but are protected in some fashion. And it's just, it gives me just so much joy to go spend time in those places. Um, even if it's a really cool city park that is, um, you know, not, not like a, a landscaped, you know, in the city park, but like a park preserve. Like I live in Phoenix, we have many of these around. Uh, so just going and hanging out at South Mountain or, you know, McDowell Sonoran Preserve or whatever is, um, you know, uh, a good time for me. And, and, um, and I focus less, I think the older I get, I focus less on the, um, on the accomplishment in the places I go and more on the reflective opportunities. Um, that's where I feel the most at peace when I'm feeling stressed out. It's, uh, it's, I haven't spent enough time in the public lands recently. Yeah, it has been a lot of fun. Do you have any recommendations on tools or things that you use to help you sort of manage and plan your travel quests? Well, I do have this app. <laughs> uh, yeah, if, if you go to the, if you go to the go, gocosting.com, you'll get more information there. And I, you know, I, I won't tackle that again. One, one thing that, that I try to do for my own life is uh, create a bunch of systems to make travel easier. So um, I, you know, everything that I have to do, several, you know, more than three or four times, I decide, oh, I need a better process for this. I need a system that will, that will make this a whole lot easier because I don't want, I try to reduce as much, as much friction as possible between me getting out or, or my wife and I getting out or friends and I getting out as possible. And so, uh, so we've tried to optimize a lot, lots of our life. So we, you know, I have a, I have a relatively, um, uh, relatively easy to use, but still somewhat sophisticated uh, database sort of system for keeping track of potential trip ideas uh, uses a free app called notion or, you can also pay for, but what I use can be done for free. Um, that I keep track of all the trip ideas that we have, and then the whole pl- how that gets planned out. And uh, there's lots of like templates I use with it. And um, so there, there are tools like that that I personally use. Uh, in fact, you can 
if you go to rscottjones.com, you can you can get the the download of that because I make it available for everybody. Um, and there's I, I think I have some videos on YouTube of exactly how to use it. But uh, there are lots of tools like that 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 when I collect them, I just try to kind of put them out there. I use uh, various things like um, Google Forms to keep track of of hikes. I know a lot of people use uh, a specific GPS app or something like that that automatically keeps track keeps track of the hikes or mountain bike rides or whatever that they do. But I really like kind of owning my own data because I see this data as stuff I want to keep forever for me. And so I don't want it in a format that I'll lose. So I just try to bring it uh, as close to me as, as I can in the most future um, proof format I can. So uh, I think there, there, we live in an era where there are so many potential options, where there's so many apps that can help. There's so many strategies of doing it um that uh there's just so you can you can choose just about anything uh and have it improve your planning process or your organization process the thing that i that i just try to stress with people is to make sure that you can keep that data as long as you want it for and that the the actual app or the tool itself isn't forcing you to adventure in a certain way that you don't want to because I think that's something that happens too. you know people rely on one hiking app and they don't do a hike that's not listed on that app uh, well you know I feel like that's a miss so for sure yeah any any advice for folks uh, who want to get started with their own personal quests any tips that tips or tricks that you would wish somebody had given you when you started out that you'd like to part with uh, sure. Yeah, I think I think the biggest one is just deciding to do one, and then really kind of just starting in on it. Um, there are different types of quests that kind of have a uh, change exactly how you're going to plan it. Uh, there's ones that where you have to do every one, like the you know go to every national park unit. There are also ones that are like I need to camp in every state, all the fifty states. Well. The list of the national parks is really easy because there's already a list and you know exactly which ones you have to go to. It's harder because you have to go to all of them. You don't get to skip one. Uh, but if you have another quest like the camp in all 50 states, well, you can choose to, you know, where you're going to camp, how are you going to camp? Is that backpacking? Is that car camping? Is that, you know, in a yurt? Whatever you decide your rules are. But coming up with the rules of what counts is, um, I think, something you want to do early figure out what counts as a visit, what's included on the list, what is part of that quest, what is a tradition um, that you wanna do, because if you do finish the quest, you really do want this like body of things to look back on, you know, whether it's like souvenirs or, you know, I had this stupid thing I started halfway through my national park quest where I had a, a stupid white piece of paper with a number on of which park number it was. I think I started in the 270s, you know, but one of my most favorite possessions is my 423. <laughs> you know, page that says, you know, this is the park I finished. Um, and I just, I think having a little bit of intentionality um, about what this might look like for you is is good from the beginning. And then, you know, use it to pressure you into uh, going to places you otherwise wouldn't go to, but do it in a way that's fun for you. Um, you shouldn't feel bad if you're not making progress on your quest, but having a little bit of social pressure in telling other people about it. So they ask you what your number is right now. Uh, that's also good too. Um, and then visualizing your progress, I think is, is, um, something that's really fun too, because it does keep that front and center. Oh yes. Uh, you know, I have a free day coming up, you know, in two weeks I should go mark off a quest, you know, unit or objective as opposed to, you know, I'm going to be out late at the bar the night before or whatever. Uh, and then for me, the thing that, that I've really come back to more recently is, uh, trying to do some sort of journaling and figuring out, uh, what these places really mean to you and what this experience meant to you, even if it wasn't much of anything. Uh, but just keeping track of that, I think that is the most important resource that you provide yourself, you know, at the end of the quest. Anything else we, we want to, you want to cover before we wrap up or? I think this has just been absolutely fascinating. No, it's been great. <laughs> and like super entertaining and good on you, Scott. Like I love everything about this and I love your perspective on the quests and I love sort of your, you know, added, not, attitude behind it but like your passion behind it and your reasoning behind it and um yeah this has been fantastic thank you ditto great well thanks <laughs> so scott we'll put all this in we'll, yeah. we'll put some links into the show notes 
But uh, for our listeners, where where can they find out more about Scott Jones and Quest? Well, uh, if you go to rscottjones.com, that's probably the uh, the easiest place to go. Um, I don't do a ton on social. Um, you know, I'm not really selling anything, so I don't want to spend a lot of my time there. I do spend quite a bit of time on Twitter, you know, doing some of the, the Twitter chats occasionally. Uh, that's kind of the place I hang out these days, but that might change. So rscottjones.com is the best place. If you want more information on GoQuesting, uh, hit goquesting.com. Um, and I'm going to start writing quite a bit about the Return on Adventure at returnonadventure.net. So uh, if you want to kind of follow my personal journey through figuring out how to make uh, my travels and adventures more personally rewarding that would be the spot to go awesome thanks for coming on yeah this has been really fun thanks for having me appreciate it well that's going to do it for us please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media on instagram at almost there underscore ap or the almost there adventure podcast on facebook you can find Severia at Adventurous Women, that's Adventure US Women, Jeff at The SoCal Hiker, or me at The Muir Project. Our title track, Almost There, is performed by Opus Orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. For more about this episode and all of our others, make sure to check out the show notes on our website, almostthereadventurepodcast.com. On the next episode, we chat about being a search and rescue family liaison with Moose Mutlow. As always, thanks for listening.